You're listening to the Empowering Lives Podcast, brought to you by the Department of Psychology at Help University, the University of Achievers. We'll be bringing you conversations with renowned psychologists and other health professionals that discuss a wide range of topics on mental health, psychology, and well-being. The Empowering Lives Podcast comes to you from the biggest psychology department in the whole of Malaysia. As we talk about the issues that matter to you most, stay tuned to this global podcast as we empower you to take away valuable insights and lessons that can improve your emotional health and well-being today. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Empowering Lives podcast, wherever you're listening from. My name is Elaine Fernandez. I'm the head of the psychology department at Help University. And today I'm joined by Alicia Lee, a community engagement officer with the Women's Aid Organization. In this episode, we'll be talking about the rise in domestic violence rates across Malaysia during the restricted movement order period and discussing what women can do to help themselves and their families if they're currently in an abusive relationship. So hi, Alicia. How are you? Hi, thank you for having me. I'm doing great. So uh, I'm going to talk about a bit of my role uh, in Women's Aid Organization. So as Community Engagement Officer under the Partnership and Development Team, my role mainly involves in engaging with various communities from school and university students to even corporates. And a huge part of what I do also involves developing public awareness campaigns on social media with the rest of my team, uh, as well as managing uh, partnerships with WAO. So that can involve corporate donors, CSR projects, as well as collaborative events. And uh, a a main thing that I do is also managing our amazing WAO volunteers. Okay, wow, that sounds like quite a bit of uh, different <laughs> things to do there. Um, can you yeah. also tell us a little bit more about the Women's Aid Organization? I know um, WAO is, has been synonymous in fighting for women's rights, especially as far as uh, domestic violence and situations like that go. But maybe just for our listeners' sake, just a bit of background on WAO so that they understand the role WAO plays in this particular area. Yeah, so Women's Aid Organization's aim is to elevate the rights of women and children residing in Malaysia. So we even help, you know, refugees, asylum seekers. We take into consideration everyone that is residing in Malaysia who needs help in terms of domestic violence cases. And our aim is definitely also to make sure that gender equality exists in Malaysia and that we are able to create a safe community in Malaysia as well. Okay, um, so in terms of WAO's work and all of that, um, one of the things that you would definitely be keeping an eye on is uh, what's going on right now in terms of the rate of domestic violence after the RMO was announced. Um, there were a lot of concerns that having people locked into their houses essentially would uh, have an impact on domestic violence rates. Has this been the case in your experience? So in the initial announcement of the movement movement control order, um, rates of inquiries regarding domestic violence actually dropped for a little bit. And so that made us extremely worried. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but however, we we were not really surprised either because as you said, they are locked in the house. So that means that they are around their abusers 24-7 and these abusers keep a close eye on them. So reaching out for help is extremely difficult for them. Right. So because of that, uh, we extended our WAO hotline to be 24 hours to have it uh, exist the same as our TINA, which stands for Think I Need Aid, a 24-hour SMS and WhatsApp service. So thereafter, we amplified on our social media platforms about our services, essentially, and reached out to several media outlets in order to ensure that survivors know that WAO still continues to provide services despite the movement restrictions. And um, as the MCO went by, number of inquiries gradually did increase. Mm-hmm. So between February and March 2020, we saw a 44% increase in inquiries. Oh, wow. And actually in April this month, we experienced an even greater increase in number of inquiries. So in the first half of April 2020, WAO received 264 calls and WhatsApp inquiries through our helplines. And this indicates a 111.2 increase compared to the 125 inquiries we received over a 14-day period in February of 2020. So there definitely has been a huge spike in terms of calls and inquiries, yeah. Obviously, as the MCO progresses, what, what do you think is accounting for the increase in the calls that have been coming through? Uh, we believe that it might be because of the the number of public service announcements that we have been making, and as well as the Majlis Keselamatan Negara (MKN), they have uh, been very vocal that they take domestic violence cases seriously, and also with the assistance of. Uh, the D11, the police unit that handles domestic violence cases, they have also voiced out that they are still helping survivors during this tough time. And so I believe with all of this at play, it has really helped to assure that our survivors know that they can reach out even during this period. Okay, um, I think it's good that you brought that up. I believe the um, PDRM has announced that survivors of uh, domestic violence situations will be able to move unhindered during the MCO period. They can leave their homes and and they will not be stopped by the police in that sense. Is that true? Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, exactly. So with that assurance, it's, it's really good for our survivors. That's very good to know about the fact that there is so much support available uh, to domestic violence survivors. Um, However, we do know that it is particularly challenging to access uh, support for some people. Uh, In terms of the organizations providing the support, like in WAO, what are some of the challenges you might face in dealing with domestic violence in general, uh, but more so during challenging times such as these? Yeah, so our first and foremost concern during challenging times like this is making sure that our services are accessible to our survivors. And so WAO had adapted and made our services available virtually. And that means that our psychosocial support, the ones that we provide, is done through video calls and case management and crisis support is done through calls and WhatsApp as well. Um, Secondly, due to the increase of inquiries and support needed by our survivors of domestic violence, we also face an issue in terms of scarcity in resources. So WAO 
has made a call for monetary funds to our COVID-19 emergency fund. And that fund is used to support our survivors with things like food and non-food items for women and children survivors, mm -hmm. uh, also for medical and legal aid, as well as counseling and uh, shelter support. Um, but of course, as you mentioned, because <clears throat> they have uh, trouble accessing to services, you know, there is a lot of uncertainty around their access to protection and support services during the MCO, you know, given with the movement restriction measures that are in place. There is a lack of public information about what kind of support services are still in operation mm. during this time for survivors. Therefore, WAO has urged the government to take six urgent actions to address this issue. Uh, but I'll only go over three uh, in the interest of time. So some of these actions include urging the government to improve the availability of temporary shelters and make them an essential service. Mm -hmm. So shelters are definitely lacking in Malaysia. And while WAO does run the largest domestic violence shelter in Malaysia, our shelter is currently at maximum capacity. And in urgent times like this, we urge the government to set up temporary shelters in place, in places like hotels and hostels, which has been implemented in foreign countries, you mm. know, to accommodate the rising need for shelter and also for the government to also collaborate with the private sector in providing shelter. Um, another urgent action that we urge the government to address is to issue a proper standard operating procedure for responding to domestic violence during the MCO. You know, this can greatly improve the coordination among all relevant agencies and ensure that no survivor is left behind or falls through the crack. Uh, we also did make a recommendation that the government must also ensure that survivors can obtain court-issued interim protection orders, also known as IPO, mm. and emergency protection orders, known as EPO, during the MCO. You know, these protection orders are critical and essential to protect our survivors from their abusers. You know, it sends a warning to abusers that they must stop their abuse or else they will be risked with being arrested by the police. Uh, speaking of those, uh, the last two that you mentioned, uh, mm. are these still possible to get at this point in time? Is there legal aid that's being provided to help survivors uh, get the IPOs and EPOs um, during the movement control period? Yeah, so uh, we have been in touch with the social welfare department and other relevant agencies to ensure that they can still issue these uh, protection orders. Uh, but right now, because the law, I mean, the court is uh, running a bit slower right now because of all the restriction movement and everything, uh, we are still trying our best to ensure that survivors have access to those. I think that's, that's really good that WAO and other organizations are lobbying the government for these very necessary measures to be put in place in order to handle, I guess, the, the rise in cases or the visibility of cases. Um, certainly, there's no doubt that there's probably a lot more than we're actually seeing, but um, mm. I think even the ones that are coming up now are probably more than you would normally expect. So, yeah. wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think... <laughs> It's quite it's a, intense. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, but thankfully, they are, they are showing that they actually are paying attention to this situation. So that, that's a good sign. But back to people who are in this situation and maybe 
might be having trouble gaining access as, as we talked about um, or mm. they're as you mentioned also as well they're locked in with their abusers 24-7 so is there anything they can do in sort of the immediate terms like when they're at home and also how they might be able to reach out for support so are there any tips that you can give them that might help them in their personal situations to find a way to reach out if right now they're feeling quite lost and unsure of how to do so? So for the immediate term, what we advise survivors do is to really, it's really important for them to assess their own level of safety. And they can do this by identifying their abuser's use and uh, level of force so that they can assess the risk of physical danger that they are in. Other than that, we also encourage survivors to create a safety plan while they are with their abuser. So if they are able to leave uh, their abuser currently, especially with uh, the movement control order, they can do things like identifying safe areas in the house where there are no weapons and that there are ways of escape. So if there is ever an argument and it escalates to be extremely physical and you are in grave danger, try to move to those areas so that at least you are safe for the time being. Another thing that's helpful is to save emergency numbers on your phone. So 999 for the police, uh, WAO hotline as well, Tina, and of course, a trusted family member or a friend's number. But in terms of saving, you know, numbers like WAO's hotline and Tina, we really urge survivors to save it under different names to prevent, you know, your abuser from discovering them or suspecting that you are trying to leave them. Because if they do find out, this then puts the survivors at an even greater risk uh, where the violence could escalate. And uh, that's really the last thing we want for our survivors. Okay, that's that's very good practical advice, I think. And I think a, a second, I guess, deeper level of concern for people, especially women in abusive relationships, is when there are children involved as well. So mm. um, for women without children, it might be possible for them to, to leave, but there are many who, mm-hmm. are, who feel tight. I guess yes. their, their hands are tied simply because it'd be very difficult for them to leave with children. So mm. is there anything that they can do in that situation um, to perhaps find a way to help themselves and their children to come out of that situation if that's what they're looking for? Or to at least manage things so that things don't escalate too much while they're at home yeah. in the situation? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we also encourage them to do safety planning with their children. And so this involves teaching your children when and how to call 999 should um, the immediate danger or the emergency arises. At least they know when to call, how to call, and also what information to provide. If, so for example, if the, the mother is being gravely abused or anything, she can inform the child to call for immediate help and to have them uh, be in a safe space while they do so. Um, So creating a code word is helpful for children to know in that sense. So the code word can then be used uh, when you need to leave the home in case of an emergency. Mm. But again, you know, it's important that the children know not to tell anybody about what the word means because if the wrong people find out, then, you know, be potentially put you and your children in, in even more danger and again that's the last thing we, we want for our survivors especially those with really young children yeah okay. and um yeah so something that we have to acknowledge 
uh, is that you know some survivors are heavily monitored by abusers, as mentioned, yeah. you know, as even through their phones. And um, with the MCO in place, abusers, of course, are always around, and you know, reaching out becomes harder. So for survivors who are unable to reach out for support on their own, we also again encourage them to use code words, but with people that they trust. So it could be their their neighbor, their friend, their colleague, someone who knows what's going on in your household. Mm. Um, so that when you when you type out that word or if you just yell it or something, at least they know that they have to call for help immediately and send uh, have the police perform a rescue mission or on your behalf or things like that. Uh, I also want to add on that especially in situations where survivors are unable to seek help personally, bystander intervention is extremely helpful and it can definitely be life-saving. Um, everyone has a role in creating a safe community, you know, wherever they are. And we want this safe community to be such that everyone looks out for each other and that violence in any form is not tolerated at all. And so this is something that WAO greatly believes in. And I know for a lot of us, you know, we worry about our own safety when it comes to uh, intervening with situations like this, you know, especially when violence is happening next door. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, simple things that you can do as a neighbor, if you suspect or witness any form of abuse can be just going over to their home, ringing their doorbell or knocking their door. I know everyone's cooking right now at home, so it wouldn't be <laughs> weird if you ask for more sugar or, you know, things are running off the shelves anyway, right? So it won't be weird if you ask for certain ingredients, you know, <laughs> just to intervene in that sense. Yeah. So, you know, what this creates is a break to stop the violence from escalating and this could potentially save the survivor as well. Um, but wow, you know, okay. more important, yeah. So, but more importantly, it sends a message that you know people are watching, they're mm. listening, and they know that something is going on. So this also then assures the survivor that someone is indirectly looking out for them, uh, and that they can trust you. So they can approach you for you know that cold word and everything else. So you know, never ever think that you can't do anything to help. You know, even if you're just like right next door. Okay, wow, that's that's really good, uh, very practical advice. Um, I think a lot of people maybe feel like if they were to intervene, it would actually mean having to get in between the two parties, but just letting people know that there are people around and that we can hear what's going on as you say, gives the survivor a sense that there are other people in, in the situation mm -hmm. and maybe also might send some cues to the, the abuser who, yeah. who will know that okay, somebody else can hear what I'm doing. It's not all a secret as such. So mm. hopefully that means that they might be a little bit more careful. But I think there's also an element of what about people who are maybe not so close by and able to intervene in that sense. So if you know of a friend uh, who might be in the situation or a family member, but you are not close enough to actually extend uh, direct assistance. Is there anything that people can do? Is there advice that you can give them if they know of people who are in this situation? What can they do to help? Um, so there are, uh, we have had cases where, you know, family members or concerned friends, they, they call in or they text in asking for advice uh, from, from the WO hotline and such. Uh, usually what we advise them is that the survivor 
reach out to us directly. However, we have also in like really urgent cases we have done uh, and collaborated with the police department to perform rescue missions. So mm -hmm. it's really important that whoever it is that the survivor trusts, even if they're far away, that they know the current situation that's going on, how severe is um, the level of violence, mm -hmm. so that at least they know when to um, when to act, basically. But, you know, there are also instances where, you know, if you know someone who is in an abusive relationship, you may feel like you are unable to provide certain levels of support that they may need. You know, sometimes uh, people may not be comfortable being a listener all the time <clears throat> or even offering their home as a safe place for survivors. But, you know, some people are. Uh, but that's okay because you have to know how you can support in your own capacity. Yeah. You know, and we also recognize that it's extremely frustrating to see someone you love go through, you know, the situation over and over again and you feel helpless and you can't do anything. Yeah. Um, and to see them be stuck in such a toxic and unhealthy environment, it definitely hurts you as well as someone who loves that person, right? Yeah. So you can definitely provide support in other ways as well. So doing things like providing them, the survivor, with important contacts to, let's say, WAO, Portal and Kase, or even researching uh, the nearest police stations to the survivor's home, the nearest hospitals with one-stop crisis centers where they can do a medical examination and then you know, go on to lodge a police report and then social welfare officers can jump in and take over the case. You know, things like that is really, really helpful to our survivors because most of them have no idea where to go or what to do yeah. when they finally do decide to leave their abuser. Um, helping the survivor doesn't have to be just about listening to them. Uh, without judgment, even though that's great as well. But sometimes practical ways of helping is definitely beneficial for our survivors. I think sometimes what people might struggle with as well is um, knowing when to step in. So uh, you might mm. have find that, you know, you know that somebody's going through a particularly difficult period and some people might want to, you know, help by calling the police and so on. But Mm -hmm. Do they should they be waiting to take their cues from the survivor themselves? Because obviously, if you you make a call and you know somebody shows up and you know there's nothing to indicate that anything was going on, um, if that could potentially make the situation worse for the person if they are not prepared yet to to leave or something along those lines, should people be taking cues from survivors or how do we know when to to step in aside from that or should we not altogether? Uh, we actually do encourage and we want survivors themselves to be the ones who, you know, come out of the situation on their own because the likeliness of them going back also depends on, you know, their own decisions. And I know it's, again, it's frustrating to see someone you love be in a life-threatening situation or you just see them change as time, you know, goes on. Uh, but really the most that you can do is really just let the survivor know that you are there for them mm. uh, in, in whatever capacity that you are able to, of course. And again, provide the resources that they need. But I would suggest like if it's a really, really life-threatening situation then and you have the evidence to back up that there is um, severe abuse going on and that 
uh, they are a threat to the survivor and maybe their children, by all means, I think you should um, step in and call if it's that severe. Like, for example, if they're neighbors and they can hear that something is going on, um, there's nothing to stop them from saying, you know, what, I, I really should maybe call the police just to make sure that this doesn't escalate too far. Yeah, so we have had, you know, people who call up police you know, anonymously, of course, um, mm. to just have the police do, uh, do a check-in just right. to see if the, if the house is okay and things like that. And so then from there, the police can assess if you know, anything is amiss. Okay, so like sort of report a disturbance, that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. It, yeah, you can help that way as well. Okay, uh, thank you so much, Alicia, for um, the very practical and useful advice that you have given um, to people who are either involved in abusive relationships or domestic violence survivors, and also to the people around them who can see what's happening but maybe don't really know what they can do to help. It's been very informative. Uh, thank you so much for the work that you do as well as uh, WAO, certainly there has been a lot more press coverage and sort of social media coverage of the, the different ways that domestic violence survivors can get help, which is certainly uh, very, very important in this period of time. So thank you very much, Alicia, for all thank of that. Thank you. Thank you for having And to everyone else, thank you for listening to this special episode of Empowering Lives. If you are in need of support or know anyone who might need help, please do reach out to the Women's Aid Organization via their 24-hour hotline. Their hotline is now 24 hours. Um, so you can reach them at either 603-7956-3488 or you can contact their 24-hour WhatsApp number on 6018-988-8058. I'm going to repeat those numbers. The hotline number is 603-7956-3488 and their 24-hour WhatsApp number is 6018-988-8058. For more information on the Women's Aid Organization, visit www.wao.org.my. Thank you all for listening and please take care. You've been listening to the Empowering Lives Podcast, brought to you by the Department of Psychology at HELP University, Malaysia, the University of Achievers. For more information about HELP University, visit www.help.edu.my and learn about our world-class programs and mental health services. Thank you for listening. And remember, together we can empower each other to build rich and meaningful lives driven by purpose, vision, and values.